today we start a new series that I am very excited about called Moxie. In my hand here, I have Moxie Cola. So uh, periodically, throughout the sermon, when I see fit, I will take a sip of this Moxie Cola um, in order to just demonstrate a point uh, that we all need to be filled up with Moxie. And I will continue to do this throughout this sermon series uh, till it probably annoys you for the next 12 or so weeks. Um, so you're welcome for that. Uh, I, I just, you know, I want you to smile a little bit. And so when I do this, I'm just, I'm going to expect a smile um, or else I'll just keep, well, I was going to say I'll just keep drinking it until you don't, until you smile, but then you'd probably make me finish the whole thing just to mess with me. So um, Moxie means strength of character. Moxie means grit. It means courage. It means determination. It means if there's something in front of you that you've got to pass through, if you have moxie, you're going to figure out how to get through it. Now, Christian moxie is a bit different because if you have Christian moxie, it's like this. You have this grit. You have this determination. You have this strength of character still. Yet, at the same time, there's a peace about you. There is a contentment about you. There's a grace about you. There's a love about you. While at the same time, you have this grit and this determination um, and, and this courage. And it's a very unique combination that is brought towards the Christian when they discover this grace. And see, that's where it starts. It all starts with discovering this grace that is absolutely irresistible. And that's what we find. So we're going to be in the book of Philippians. The writer is Paul. And Paul, Paul has changed the world. He really has changed the world because of the moxie that is flowing through his veins. And today, what happens is we start seeing him point us to the secret of where we find this kind of moxie, where we find this strength and this grit uh, and this courage, yet at the same time, this peace and this contentment. He points us to the place. And when you find it, I'm telling you, watch out when you really find it, because you're going to start finding the world around you be changed through you. And I'm not joking around here, and, and this is not playing games. This is very serious. Like, if you find this, this will begin to happen around you if you really find it. And so Paul's going to give us the secret here of discovering the wellspring of this moxie. And it all starts actually with this taste of grace. It starts with a grace that is absolutely irresistible, that when you give yourself over to that grace, you find yourself giving yourself over to the one who has given you that grace. And so what I want to do is I want you to start off like this. Imagine this. Imagine you are in a dystopia, like that you are being captured, the people around you are being captured and sold as slaves, and then it happens to you. You're captured. You're brought to this place. You're about to be bid for, and you and your family and all your friends, you've all been captured, and you're about to be sold into slavery, and you find yourself standing there waiting to hear who the highest bidder is for you, and you know that when someone buys you in this situation, that 
you're done for. Like, you, you lose your name, you lose your identity, everything is absolutely gone. You have lost your freedom. This is going to be the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And you stand before this crowd as they are bidding for you. And the next thing that happens is somebody buys you and you find yourself being forced into this large truck, into the back of it that's closed in and you can't see out of it. And you take this day-long journey and you're hungry and you're thirsty and you finally arrive at this place that's going to be like your new home, except it doesn't really feel so much like a home and then the back door swings open to this truck and you are greeted with a smile and you're greeted with a welcome that says I'm glad I'm very glad that you're here and you're very confused and you and you and you step out and everyone around you seems out in this place where you now are seems happy and at peace much like a happiness that you've actually never seen before and you're very confused and you think, oh, what, what happened here? Did they, did they catch the owner? Did they kill him? Is that what's going on? Is that why everybody's happy? And you start asking around and what you find out is that the master who has bought you is unlike anyone that you have ever, ever, ever met. And people call him grace, but not like grace, like if you meet a king and you have to say, yes, you're grace. Like they call him grace because this is really the only, this is the best word to refer to him as, as grace. And in fact, what you find is the grace of this master Master, and really he's kind of like a king. The grace of this master king is starting to penetrate the hearts of all of these people in this community that you have just walked into, and you find that people have this peace and this contentment to them, but they also have this strength. And so then it's time for you to enter into the house to go meet this master slash king, and you step up before, to him, and he says, you are free to go. And you contemplate getting your family and your friends and getting out of there. But you look around at all the people there and you're like, man, this is the happiest place I have ever seen. This place puts Disney World to shame what's going on in this place. And so you start thinking, man, maybe I shouldn't leave. Maybe I should stay here. And so you ask this master king, has anybody left? And he says, well, anybody's free to go, but nobody seems to want to. And what you find is that the grace of this king is absolutely so irresistible that nobody would want to go. They want to stay. And so you decide you're going to stay, and you're there in the presence of the king. But before you leave, he says, wait. I have something very special for you to do. I have something very, very important for you to do. Because there are people that are also being sold as slaves, but they're being sold to masters, and their life is in danger. These are not good masters. They're bad masters. And so there are special people picked out just for you to go out to and to meet them and to prepare them and to tell them about this place. And we call this place, this is the gates of grace. You enter into it, and you enter a world that's full of grace. And you see that this new purpose that you've been given gives you this sense of excitement and this grit inside of you, yet at the same time you feel softened by his love and by his mercy, and you're given this peace as well that goes along with it. Okay, so Paul, Paul, we're out of the story now, Paul. Paul starts off this letter, and he calls himself and his friend slaves to Christ, slaves to Christ, but it's not what you think about like what you think about today. It's much like the story. He wants to be there. So let me read to you. This is Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Um, and this, this is all about Moxie. Philippians 1, 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, 
servants or slaves is a better translation of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. With the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of the Spirit that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. All right. Paul calls himself a servant, or a better translation is a slave to Christ. Now, what in the world does he mean by that? Because here's what's confusing. Paul, in all of his letters to all these churches, because Paul is constantly writing letters to churches, he's always talking about the freedom that the Christian has. But here he's calling himself a slave to Christ. Does this mean that Paul is under the control of Christ and he absolutely cannot escape Christ even if he wants to? Yes, it does. But it's in a way that is so good for Paul because Paul has this propensity, we have this propensity to run from Christ and Christ knows it's the best thing for us that he would not let us go and so we become a slave to him and he's not going to let us go. It's actually a beautiful thing. And Paul's constantly talking about our freedom and so we're, we become like a slave to Christ, a servant of Christ and yet at the same time we're absolutely free. So Paul is trying to tell us, to show us that all of us, all of you, we're slaves to something. We have to be. We're slaves to something. And even if you say right now, no, 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 no. Not me. I'm my own master. I determine what is right and what's good. I am free. You know what Paul tries to convince you of so desperately in all the rest of his letters is that, ah, oh, you have no idea. Freedom for you, when you get to pick what you're doing with your life, it's going to feel like slavery because you're never going to live the way you're designed to live. You only find that in Christ. Paul's trying to say to you, Christ will always be a better master to you than you will be to yourself. And we all serve something and everything will fall short of Christ. And soon you will find out why. But first... Paul is saying that even if you are your own master, you'll be like a fish trying to walk around on land. You'll be like a bird trying to walk around instead of fly. The way you are meant to live, Christ knows and he knows the secret of the way that you're meant to live. And so you go to him and you give yourself over to him and you say, teach me. And he says, oh, I would love to. And he shows you how you're meant to live. So if you are a fish he teaches you to swim. If you're a bird, he teaches you to take flight. And you are, if you're a human, which you are, he teaches you a new way to be human, the right way, the heavenly way, the way of grace. Because 
A fish is most free when it's swimming, not when it's flapping around on the land. It's most free when it's swimming because the fish has given itself over to its master designer, who the master designer has taught it how to live. And the same thing is with us. When we give ourselves over to our master designer, he teaches us how we ought to live. But that happens only when you enter through the gates of grace. That's why it says in verse 2, grace to you. And that grace, this is, this is key here, that grace, you know what it produces in you? Peace, contentment. But it starts with grace. And then you start finding yourself having joy. And then you start finding yourself have this passion to see the people that you love around you enter through those gates of grace to go meet the king of grace. And that is what moxie is, my friends. It's about bringing people through into this world of grace and having this grit and determination to see it happen because it has awakened something in you and and because you have finally found a master that is worth following, a king that's worth following. You'd rather follow him than yourself. And so the question isn't, will you be a servant or not? The question is, who will you be a servant to or what will you be a servant to? And the question then becomes, is the one that you're being a servant to, is that one offering you a grace that is absolutely irresistible? And if you're becoming a servant to yourself or something else, the question is, can you or that something else build a world that's filled with grace like that one that was walked into where it's producing happiness and peace and contentment. Can you do it? The answer is no. It's only found in the king of grace. You will try to produce it, but you won't be able to. And as you enter into this gate of grace, you're going to say, okay, I get it. I didn't get it before. I didn't get why this Christianity thing about being a servant to Christ and all this stuff about him being like the king. I didn't get it. It didn't make any sense to me, but I see now. Like I've entered in and I've discovered something that I had been missing this whole entire time. He's not who I thought he was. And I will gladly follow this Christ anywhere he goes. And do you know why this has happened? It's all because he bought you with a price. It's because he bought you with a price. Have you heard of uh, catechisms? So a catechism is like a question and an answer. This is like the Christian belief. It gives you the Christian belief, and it starts with a question, and then it gives you an answer. So there's a catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism. And in it, the first question, and the first question is always very important. The first question is, what is my only comfort in life and death. What, this is a very important question. What is my only comfort in life and death? The short answer is, I am not my own, but I have been bought with a price. That seems strange that it would comfort us, but let me give you the long answer, and I think it will tell you why. So what is my only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, All things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him, Christ, who is the whole, by by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life 
and, and listen to this, and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. It's about finding something so wonderful that you say, ah, I'm living for him now. Like, that wonderful that you're ready to say, ah, I count everything else as loss. I'm following this Christ of mine wherever he goes. And everything else will make you a slave lacking freedom, feeling less and less human. And the terrors, you'll begin to feel the terrors of something owning you that can only bring about your destruction. He's the only one who buys you and then sets you free. He's the only, and, and how does he buy you? He buys you with the cost of his life and everything else that buys you, buys you with the cost of your life. Everything else that you serve, it needs you to keep it alive in a way. It needs you to feed it. But Christ says, feed on me. That's what communion's about. Christ says, come and be nourished by me. In fact, I'm giving myself over to you. I'm draining myself on the cross for you. He turns you from a bird that's walked on land all the time that finally has taken a flight. And all other masters survive by you, but you in Christ survive by him. All other masters use you, and he says, use me. Okay, so what does that mean? Use me. Well, later on in this letter, something fascinating is said. Jesus, exalted God, come into the earth. says, he humbled himself by becoming a servant, a slave. For us so that we might be free. He becomes an absolute servant to us. Did I say that right? Yeah, the Bible's saying that. The king of the cosmos, he becomes a servant to you. And here's the thing, you have to let him serve you. In fact, there's this place where Peter, where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. He's washing his friends' feet, and he's serving them. And Peter's like, wait, 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 wait. Jesus comes up to Peter, and Peter says, no, 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 no. There's something incredibly wrong here. This is madness. You are the king of the cosmos. How in the world are you the one that's serving me? I should be serving you. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand. If you do not let me serve you, you cannot enter through the gates of grace. If you don't let me serve you, you're not going to taste what life is like on the other side of this world with me, because the way in is through me serving you and then of course we want to serve him because of what he's done for us but still it all starts with him serving us he says he came not to be served but to serve Jesus says that in the book of Romans Paul says we're either a slave to Christ or a slave to sin one or the other okay and, and whatever you make yourself a slave to it's going to destroy you, but Christ will not. So, so what is sin in this scenario? Like, if you're making yourself a slave to sin, what is that? Well, let's look at it like this. It's running from the gates of grace. It's running from the king of grace. It's saying that you don't need him, and that's what sin is. And so to become a slavery to sin would be to say, I don't need grace. I'm never going to need grace. And in fact, you're saying, my sin's not that big of a deal. In fact, it's not really sin at all. Just leave me alone about this. I don't need to hear about this. I don't need grace. I'm fine the way I am. That is what it sounds like to be a slave of grace. You know what else it sounds like, though? It sounds like saying, man, I'm not enough for grace. 
You're a slave to sin then. If you're saying, I'm not enough for grace, then you are a slave to sin. Do you know why? Because out of pride, you are saying, I've got to get away into the gates of grace, and I'm not doing it, and so therefore, I'm not worthy of it. But it was up to me. In pride, it was up to me, but I didn't do it, and so now I can't get in. And that's being a slave to sin as well. That's very, that's very that could be a worse sin because you're saying, I can't do it, and you're having this like little pity party, like I'm not getting in the gates of grace because I'm not worthy. And Jesus is saying, I've made the way for you. Stop ignoring what I've done. Stop running from grace. We're all sinners who have found grace, and then we become free to admit that we're sinners. And grace does that to you. If you really experience grace in a real way, it's very easy to be like, yeah, I'm a sinner. Because it doesn't matter anymore. You've been set free from your sin. It's been paid for, done, doesn't control you. But if you're a slave to sin, you would say, I'd never, I'd never need that grace. And I never need this king of grace. And if you say there is no king of grace, you remain a slave to sin. And if you say I don't need him, you remain a slave to sin. And it controls you and it takes hold of you and you become ruined more and more and more. Because you won't take grace and be changed by it. Freedom through serving the right king who has first served you. Oh, come on. Come on. Don't miss that. Freedom through serving the king who's already served you. Okay, the second question. So the first question of that catechism was, what's my comfort in life and death? I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. So the second question of the catechism says, what must I do to know, what must, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? What must you know? to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Answer, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from the sin and misery. Third, this is because Christ bought you, you're set free. Third, you just start trying to figure out how am I to thank God for this deliverance? How I am to thank God for this deliverance. This third thing is about you're just, you see what God's done for you and you're so thankful that you just respond in a life that is well lived, a life filled with moxie. You can say, man, I am, I cannot believe what God has done for me. Your life fills up with thanks and then you begin to live with all your might while you do live. And part of that is living with all your might is to be very free to confess your sin and to rely on grace. That is a life well lived. A life that says I'm a sinner and I'm saved by grace and I'm gonna keep going to grace over and over and over again. And a life of thankfulness is a life filled with passion and a restlessness to see other people enter through the gates of grace. Like you're restless about it, yet at the same time, you have complete rest because you know you have met the king of grace and he's powerful and he's in control and he's got a strength behind him. And so you're restless and rested at the same time. Very unique combination. It's found in the Christian. And it sounds strange. You say, any obstacle that stands in my way of getting you into the gates of grace, I'm, I'm, I'm coming at it. But at the same time, I have this deep peace 
that God's in control. And we find Paul do that. Like Paul is living with tons of restlessness, yet he's rested at the same time. He has this passion, yet peace that's happening. And, oh man, how do I say this? When you discover the thankfulness, when you become thankful of what God has done for you, it's not that you have to live a certain way anymore, it's that you want to. It's that the way of the king becomes a way that you want to live, and you desire to start living that way. But before this happens, before we start living with this moxie, we have to find grace, but we have to find it for real. And, and the thing is, it all starts with grace, but guess what else? It ends with grace, and guess what's right in the middle of it all? Grace. And it's central to the Christian teaching. Everything revolves around this grace. It's all about grace. And Paul found it, and that's what gave him this moxie. And I, you know what? I don't want you to leave this place until you found this grace, until you want to sing about this grace, until you're thankful for this grace. I don't want you to leave this place until you've walked through the gates of grace. And if you've been walking around outside of the gates of grace for a long time, and you're like, should I go in, should I go in? I don't want you to leave here today until you walk through those gates. Grace is central to what made Paul the man that he is who changed the world. And guess where he's writing this letter? I don't know if you caught it. In prison. In fact, what we know about Paul is he's been imprisoned about seven times, sometimes up to two years. Do you know why? So that people could enter through the gates of grace. And he's in prison, and he's completely content about it. But guess what? He might die in prison. Like, they're telling him, look, you might be executed. That could be what's next for you. And he's rejoicing. In that imprisonment, he says something that we're going to get to in a few weeks. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, here's what he means. He says, if I die, I get to go be with Christ. I'm entering fully into these gates of grace. And, oh, man, everything's just going to be amazing. And we don't have the words to describe it. It's just going to be awesome. And then he says, but guess what? If you don't kill me, guess what's going to happen? I'm just going to talk about grace. And I'm going to tell everybody about grace. And I'm going to usher people into the gates of grace. So if I live or if I die, I win. Grace, that's what's coming. Everything is about the gates of grace for Paul. In fact, you, you probably haven't noticed this in his letters, unless maybe in a, I showed you this in a Bible study. Um, so if, if you have found it, you're, you're super cool. So in, in the beginning of all of Paul's letters, he starts off every letter and says, grace to you. He ends every letter saying grace with you. It starts with grace to you, and then he prays. His prayer is, I pray that this grace will stay with you. Everything's about grace for Paul. Everything, everything. It's the beginning. It's the end. It's all that he talks about. Why is he so obsessed with grace? Because Paul was a murderer of Christians, and he lived an absolutely horrible life, and then Christ was gracious to him, and it changed him forever. Absolutely forever. And according to Paul, you don't have to be a murderer to be so obsessed with God's grace. You simply find that grace, and he'll do the same thing to you as he did to Paul. You have the access to it. 
and it will produce moxie. It will produce in you a life of joy and peace, but yet at the same time, strength and grit and determination. And this grace, do you know what it is? It's him purchasing you away from every other master that so badly wants to dominate you. And how does he purchase you? His life. He buys you with his life. So let's go back to the story. See, when you got kicked when you, got, when you got thrown in that truck and then you arrived through the gates of grace and you didn't know what was coming at you and then this door swings open and you were greeted by this grace and you went and met with the king and you kept meeting with him then over time went on over and over and over again you noticed something about him. He had scars and it confused you a bit because while he was gracious and loving, he had a strength to him. He had a power to him and you think to yourself, how could anybody do this to him? How could anybody give this man scars? He is beyond power that I've ever seen. How could this have happened to him? And so one day you get the courage to ask him and you say, hey, where'd you get the scars? Is it on your hands and you know, your side and your, your feet? And he says, has no one told you? Have you not heard? These are the marks of my grace. This is how I bought you. This is, this scars show you my love for you. This scars show you what I'm willing to do to get you. These scars show proof that I died and I rose for you. But I died for you. And then you say, wait, wait. How did this happen? Why did this happen? What is going on? Why did this happen? Why did you do this for me? I didn't even know who you were before this. And he says, ah, exactly just that. So that you would know me, so that you would be with me, so that forever we would enjoy each other's presence. I did it because I want you, and I want you to know me. And then you say, whoa, I can't even, I don't, I, what did I do to deserve this? And he says, oh, my child, do you not understand grace yet? Had you done something to deserve this, it wouldn't be grace anymore. And if it wasn't grace anymore, then it would not have changed you. You would have found something that would have left you unchanged or changed very little. But grace is the stuff that changes you. Grace is the stuff that gives you life like you didn't have before. And when you meet with me, that grace starts flowing into you more and more because there's nobody like me. You say, well, that sounds arrogant. Yeah, maybe it's arrogant unless it's true. And then the greatest thing you want to hear is I'm with the king of grace and he's offering this grace to me and it's pouring out to you over and over. And then it starts coursing through your veins and it starts pumping in your heart and then you start sweating out grace. So that means every handshake that you give, it's grace pouring out of you. That means every hug that you give, it's grace pouring out of you. That means every interaction that you have with somebody is grace because it's flowing through your veins. Don't you see? You're the key to others finding grace. That's what he says to you. You're the key to others finding this place. You hold grace within you, and that grace stays with you. And that grace is offered to an aching world around you. And then he says, do you not remember when that door swung open for the first time? And you felt welcomed. And you knew there was something different about this place. You had something in you long ago that you suppressed. You had something in you that you pushed 
far down. It was hope. And you stuffed it down because you didn't want to be let down. And you said, I don't believe that this could be true. I don't believe that God could do this for me. And so you stuffed the grace down really far because you don't want to be let down. But when that door swung open and you felt that welcome, it awakened a hope in you. All right, that's what the King of Grace says. So, okay, listen. When you have found this grace, it begins to course through your veins. The church is meant to be a place where people have found this grace and that grace is coursing through our veins and we're offering that grace to each other. That's what Paul's meaning in verses 9, 10, and 11, that love would abound in you, meaning the church, the community of grace. We're an alternative society inside of this dystopia, inside of this world, and that grace is running through our veins. And you know what else it's giving us? It's giving us this discernment. It said, well, knowledge and discernment, what does that mean? It means that now when you look at life, you're looking at it through the lens of grace. It means that when things happen to you in your life, the very first pair of glasses you put on are glasses of grace and you start looking at your situation through the lens of grace. When someone does something to you that really just, uh, you know, grace. The lens of grace. And then it gives you fruit of righteousness, which is love, joy, and peace. That is what God is creating here. And I think we diminish what I just said. I don't think we're hopeful enough about what God could do here in the church. I think we dismiss this and say, ah, it sounds cool, but unlikely. The door is swung open and it has awakened that hope and you just let that hope sing out. Stop stuffing it down. This can be a place where grace is running through our veins. The gates of grace. Join the cause of God and stop stuffing it down. This is a place where, you know what we do? We sin against each other. Not on purpose, but maybe even sometimes on purpose. And do you know what the response is? Forgiveness. You know why? Because you've been forgiven so greatly. There's a place where where Jesus' disciples, his friends are saying, how should we pray? And one of the parts of the prayer is, forgive one another as I've forgiven you. So has the Lord forgive, so you must forgive. Okay, so we've got to forgive. But, But what does that mean? It's saying if you've really tasted forgiveness, if you've really tasted grace, like it's exciting for you to forgive. Like you're driving here and someone cuts you off and you're like, oh, that's awesome because now I get to be gracious to you. No, I, I, like, I, like it's funny. It is funny. But also, also, that's how we should be. Like Jesus talks about the cross and he tells us the joy that's set before him. He's about to suffer and yet it's a joy for him. Why? Because he's going to be giving us grace through it. So we got to start being people who are excited to offer grace. Like we're, we're almost like, come on, come on, cut me off so I can forgive you for this. Cut me off so I can be gracious. So, cut me off so I can smile. Give me the bird so I can blow you a kiss or something. I don't know. But you see what I'm saying? Like it's just like this grace is running through our veins and we just got to get it out and we're looking for ways to get it out of us. Through every handshake, through every hug, every interaction, every meal, our interactions with our kids, every time we drop them off for school, our interactions with our kids' friends, our interactions with our kids' friends' parents, our interactions with everybody around us, our interactions with our job. I mean, let's make our places where we are places of grace, 
places that like the sweat pours out of us, but it's sweats of grace, and it's like we're throwing our uh, we're throwing a sweat at people because it's filled with grace, and everything is grace, and we because we've entered into the gates of grace. And do you know what? When you aren't living this way, when someone cuts you off and you return the bird for the bird, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. How do I change? You know the answer? Grace. You got to just get back to the grace. And when you get to the grace, it fills grace back up in you. Like it could be that your grace tank, like you have this tank that needs to be filled with grace and it's empty because you're not thinking about the grace of God. And you're not coming here and hearing about the grace of God and letting it just like enter into your soul. And you're not in the Bible was talking about grace over and over and over again because grace saves you, but grace also changes you and you don't ever graduate from Christ. You don't ever graduate from the church. You don't ever graduate from the Bible. In fact, you begin to live more and more desperate for these things because this is the place that brings you to the king of grace. So Paul, in finding grace, was given this, this raw passion to see other people enter in through the gates of grace. And when it seemed impossible, he pushed through. How? By holding on to grace all the more. You want moxie? You need the king's grace. You want contentment and grit at the same time? You need grace. You want to be positive and realistic at the same time. You know, I, I just was recently listened to a podcast. It was talking about leadership. And it was talking about leaders are positive people. And sometimes they're wrong about things because realistic people tend to be right about most things. They're 90, right 90% of the time, but nobody wants to follow them because they're negative about everything. And so nobody wants to follow them. They'd rather follow a leader that at least has hope. But you know what's crazy about Paul? He's got both. Paul is completely realistic about a situation. Like, I might die. But that's fine, because two positive things are going to happen from this. And it's always two positive things. Either I die, and I'm going to be with Christ, or I'm just going to tell everybody about Christ. So Paul has found this way, this moxie, where he can be completely realistic about the situation, and yet still have joy and peace and contentment and excitement about what's coming next, whatever it is. That's how he changed the world. And when you have that moxie that Paul had, you begin to think through this lens of how can I better help people come and discover this grace? Okay, imagine you're sitting with the king again. And you've caught what Paul has talked about here. You've caught what Paul has. You have this great desire to see people enter in to the gates of grace. And you say, okay, I want to do this. I want people to enter into the gates of grace. You say to the king, how do I do this? How do I get people in? What do I need to do here? What's my job here? How do I get people in? I want to get people in. And he says, you don't get anybody in. I do. But, but, you have something incredibly important to do. You show them what those other masters are doing to them. And you show them what sin is doing to them. And you show them what I offer them. And you prepare them to meet me. 
And there's nothing greater than that. I mean, think about that. We are preparing people to meet the king of grace, to enter into the throne room of grace and to be in awe of this God of love and grace and peace, yet he has this strength to him. And, and he says, you know what you do? You help awaken their soul. You remember how you had some, that hope buried in you and you stuffed it down? So you go out and you awaken that in people again. And you show them that there is hope. And you help them to hope again. And you help a world that has given up on hope to hope again. And you tell them, I've purchased them by the cross. And I've risen to build this kingdom of grace. And then you tell them that he, the king, he's still at work. And one day he's going to build a world that is filled with this grace. It will be absolutely filled and all things will be right. And so he says, tell them to look for me and you keep looking for me because I'm here. So don't take your eyes off of me and tell everybody else to look. Look for me. Look for me. Father, we pray that you would awaken in us this hope that this kingdom of grace is not something that is unreasonable to dream of, but it's actually something very reasonable, but not just reasonable, but real. And God, in the ways that we've stuffed away this hope for grace, God, I pray that you would tear everything apart that is causing us to bury it deep down and that you would do the digging that needs to be done to awaken this hope in us that there is a grace and you have offered it to us and we can enter through those gates. God, help us to live with people, live as people who forgive, who love, who are content yet have a strength to us a grit, a courage. And help us to go to you for it. And help us to enjoy you as we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.